This is Docera Digest Podcast, breaking down health concepts. This podcast is brought to you by Docera Life Center. This innovative clinic is finding new solutions to the evolving challenges mankind faces in the 21st century. By utilizing cutting-edge technology and testing, they find root causes and also offer treatment with energy and nutrition. What is the mission? To dynamically change lives for the better while impacting families for generations. The information shared directly or indirectly in the Docera Digest podcast is not to be understood as or misconstrued as medical advice. This information is not a replacement for your current health provider who is acutely aware of your current health state and course of treatment. Any information shared about a product or service discussed by any host or guest on this podcast is not to be interpreted as a doctor-patient relationship. Welcome back to Docera Digest. I'm Dr. Luke. And today we are going to talk about radiation and its effect on mold. And I want to open up uh, by talking about a study that was conducted in which um, there was a culture of mold and a Faraday cage was placed over this culture of mold. And this protected the mold from EMF exposure. And again, for those who may not know, what is a Faraday cage? Short answer is it is a enclosure that's used to block or protect from electromagnetic fields or EMF exposure. So again, in this study, this Faraday cage was protecting this mold culture from EMFs and the mold was allowed to follow its natural course of development. And then once that was done, they removed the Faraday cage and the following things were observed. The EMFs now affected the mold. The mold increased under EMF exposure. It increased biotoxin production by 60,000%. Whoa. The toxins were observed to be much more viscous, virulent, and poisonous than they would have been otherwise following the course of their natural growth. So what's the take home here? Uh, this study demonstrated a, you know, if we're being technical, it demonstrated a potential correlation <laughs> between mold toxicity and EMF. You got exposure. some mold in your eye? Yeah, I, I don't think they saw the winking on the podcast. Uh, I mean, as far <laughs> as the audio watching. side, he's winking as he <laughs> says this. Hopefully they're watching the YouTube version on that one. But anyways, um, I mean, this really becomes nightmare fuel when you consider someone working a desk job or on a phone all day or around electronics all day um, in a water damaged building, which Dr. Caleb here in a sec is going to hit on Wi-Fi and 5G and EMFs and their their effect on mold. Um, but real quick, I want to give at least some practical take home applications to protect ourselves from EMF exposure. And again, Dr. Caleb might hit on some of this, but um, you can use uh you could use an EMF protecting device, one that I think we really like and um, not to, I don't know if that's okay to get into brands on on the podcast, but uh, I'll go well, ahead and do it. it's one that we recommend. Okay, so. cool. So uh, it's called an R2L, um, R to the number and then L. The R2L unit stands for radiation to light. Uh, it's a device by Arconia and you just basically slap it onto your phone or computer or whatever device and this does a nice job of absorbing the emf radiation and converting it to light essentially uh, another um, <clears throat> another cost effective approach that we utilize is to apply uh, some kind of a citrus essential oil on the head and the feet um, this creates a nice 
uh, energetic shield against EMFs. Uh, and again, some examples of a citrus oil would be orange, lemon, grapefruit. You guys got any other ones off the top of your I like to call them the Christmas tree varieties, the spruce, pine, mm. firs, all those nice. type of things as well work really well for that. Wonderful. So there you have it. So <clears throat> without stealing too much of Dr. Caleb Sunder and getting into more about how EMFs affect mold, I'm going to go ahead and turn it over to him. And he's again going to talk about 5G, Wi-Fi, and uh, further how EMS can affect. So with that, Dr. Caleb. All right. Thank you, Dr. Luke. So <clears throat> really, I'm not going to get too in-depth on a whole lot of this because you could go down a really, really long and deep rabbit trail if you get into EMF, radiation, all this other stuff, differences between 5G as far as the cellular or mobile networks and what was five gigahertz in your modem or Wi-Fi, are they the same, are they different? So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of uh, really just widespread misunderstandings and a lot of things, and it'd be too difficult to go and clear through all of those in just a few minutes. But uh, what I really wanna highlight again is that <clears throat> that Faraday response, or the response in that uh, experiment with the Faraday cage, that is just astounding to think of that type of growth occurring just from the EMF field exposure. And honestly, I think I felt uh, experienced a little bit of that in my own life recently. Um, as I talked about in a previous episode, we just moved into a rental house. There's this little shed in the back that I went into and it had really bad mold exposure. Like I barely even took a step in and I got like super dizzy and everything. And I was like, coffin and you know i might be a little more susceptible to some of that due to my asthma issues but um i couldn't really spend more than five seconds in that without having to leave <clears throat> but since then even just doing something as simple as microwaving some food i noticed you know even this week if i stand too close to the microwave when i'm heating something up i just start coughing and i think it's because of that aspect there is some play into that <clears throat> now when we think about emf fields you know there are a lot of different things that can create emf and if you again if you get into the ionizing versus non-ionizing ionizing you get into more stuff like x-rays and stuff like that that are a lot more powerful and have to be very restricted and controlled in their use non-ionizing is generally considered to be not harmful by a lot of or by most experts but uh, i think a lot of research is showing that there are more effects than people realized in the last couple decades now when we add in something like 5g so the true 5g mobile network is you know they're always trying to build something faster something that can you know help make our lives easier and more instantaneous right <clears throat> so when we look at 5g some of the appeal is that it's supposed or believed to enhance our daily technological use by simple ways such as um, enhancing video game and uh, video streaming, being able to download full 4K movies in mere seconds, um, being able to stream easier for people that are, you know, influencers and all that. Um, like having more devices being able to talk to each other, like we try to be, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully we actually do have an influence and, uh, you know, we're trying to make that a positive influence. But again, you know, trying to get all these things where even Wi-Fi itself is less necessary because of how devices can communicate together. So there are a lot of different benefits that are coming from this. And, you know, a lot of the expectation is that 5G is able to operate at 100 times the capacity or the speed or the efficiency of 4G. Now, 
the interesting thing about 5G is it's not just replacing, but it's building upon 4G. So the 4G is the broad or the uh, wavelengths and all that stuff are still there. It's just kind of building upon that. But there is something unique to 5G that hasn't been done before. And that's where we're adding in um, millimeter wave frequencies. So these waves are going to be much shorter, um, which means that they're not going to be able to travel as far either. So that's why when we saw 5G rolling out, there were towers getting popped up about every 750 feet instead of being miles apart. So there's going to be a lot of these towers, or there are a lot of towers, especially in urban areas. You see them pop up. I remember even a couple of years ago in a little town in Florida that I was living in, saw four or five of them pop up around us. And there were these little white towers with all these different antennas directionally placed on them. So again, with the wavelengths being shorter, they there's the belief that it's not going to penetrate into the body as much. With previous versions, there was a lot of uh, controversy and research and um, basically claims regarding cancer, especially brain cancer, in relation to the cell phone usage with 4G and 3G and all that. So with this, they're thinking it's going to be more like the eyes and ears, skin, different other things. It might not get all the way to the brain as much, but there could still be other issues that are being affected. But another thing too is the amount of exposure we have because of how close all those towers are is going to be at a different rate than what it was. Because the 5G works at a little bit different method too. With the previous versions, there have always been kind of that broad-based or that blanket effect where it's always broadcasting and just kind of always being spread out where you connect into it. But instead of being that cell-based or blanket-based, it's going to be more of a beam-based approach where it actually kind of focuses in in the direction of your device and kind of focuses that radiation your way. So it sounds like they're building a microwave around us. Yeah. It's kind of like when you take a magnifying glass to an ant, right? Yeah. Except just electro electrically. So there are a lot of issues that that um, could arise from this, especially since there is very little research into how these types of waves will affect in the long term. Um, So that's a lot of uh, what we're going to be looking at in the ways we're kind of living in an experimental stage. Because, again, there's not a whole lot of research into this. And as they basically watch how it affects people is going to be how it's determined if it's safe or not. This is going to be something that we'll definitely be watching as a clinic and seeing how patients deal with that and trying to figure out solutions and options to go through and to help Mm -hmm. them as we go forward in the years that this is coming. So it's definitely something on our radar we're really focused on and looking at and trying to figure out how to Mm -hmm. get better results for that. And especially looking into um, even your handheld devices like your phones, you know, the ones that are 5G and enabled will specifically be enhancing that connection to those towers and drawing that even more significantly your way. Um, Now, in our clinic, we do see that there is differences between some brands. I'm not really going to get into that too much. I'll uh, go ahead and turn it over. Instead of moving on, we'll just turn that over to uh, Dr. Craig to talk about how survivable mold is. 
Thanks, Dr. Caleb. Well, what I was, as I was going to say, so far we've talked about the effect of radiation on mold. I'm going to put a little twist on it. We're going to talk about the effect of mold on radiation. So, and there's a couple examples I'm going to use. First, we're going to talk about Chernobyl. Chernobyl is considered one of the most radioactive places on the planet. Very few forms of life can exist there at all. And the ones that do are known as extremophiles. One particular is a, speci is a species known as Clytosporium spearmum. Yeah, like mm, spearmint. Easy for you to say. Yeah, say that exactly. 10 times fast. Yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's after I actually did on the computer. How do you pronounce this? <laughs> that's one of the things I love about working with these molds is the names. I love trying to pronounce them. Patient, you have this one. So... Just make it well, sound good. Exactly. <laughs> What's interesting though is how it's found a way to really thrive in this environment. So, and what the article I read, I found interesting. It said, unlike most extremophiles, which simply just adapt to intolerable in hospital conditions, this radiation consuming fung fungus actually appears to be utilizing the ionizing radiation that would otherwise be, otherwise be fatal to most life forms. I, that to me is... That's amazing. So this fungus, which is a type of black mold, was originally identified in 1991. They, hypothesi they hypothesized that this fungus may actually be converting the radiation into some kind of bioavailable chemical energy. In other words, it looks like it actually eats the radiation. Bingo. Mm -hmm. It's so, a great recycler, right? Exactly. Yep. Right. Well, and, and the article concluded with saying, apparently life always finds a way. So, which is interesting because this actually leads to the second example, which is a group of high school students in North Carolina in 2018 created a research project um, using this particular mold spore or mold uh, species. What they wondered is, if it can consume radiation in Chernobyl, what about astronauts? Astronauts are exposed to hundreds of times more radiation than the typical human being is in their activities. And what's interesting is they typically will use either aluminum or plastic to try to help shield or protect them from this radiation exposure. So what was done was this mold species was sent up to the International Space Station and they actually grew it on Petri dishes and they separated it from mold and not mold. And what they did is they took radiation readings over time. And what they found is, sure enough, this mold did reduce the radiation. Now, it wasn't as much as they had hoped for. And they went on to talk about how uh, they think if if they, they were actually surrounded by it, as opposed to just being in a Petri dish, it would actually have even a greater reduction on the radiation exposure that they had. This sounds like a really bad space horror movie. Exactly. <laughs> Get ready to happen. We take something that eats radiation and putting it into an, a radiation-rich environment and it takes over this i'm hopefully this was done in a very safe way but yeah <laughs> i'd go see that movie actually <laughs> i think we already did i think it's called venom no, just oh. kidding. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now here's one of the interesting thing I, I one other thing i thought was interesting in regards to this because as i said they typically use like uh, aluminum or plastic to protect these astronauts from radiation well since you know it only takes a microscopic amount of this mold and it can start to uh, perpetuate itself. It, it takes very little to be put up there. And when you take into account it, it costs $10,000 per pound 
of a piece of equipment or any type of thing to be put up into space, how many thousands of dollars or millions of dollars could be saved if that could be used? So it's kind of interesting how, you know, we've been spending most of our time talking about the negative effects of mold. Mm -hmm. It would be interesting if we could actually utilize this and turn it to a positive. Okay, like mm -hmm. bacterial, we have our good probiotics and we have ones that work mm -hmm. against us. You know, how do we <laughs> right. find and utilize mold as our ally? Right. As interesting as that is. So <laughs> the basic conclusion is that mold can grow anywhere. So I, I also wanted to mention one other thing I thought was interesting is they did put a terminology to what they talked about this process because they came up to a similar conclusion as a previous study that because the mold appears to absorb radiation and convert it into a chemical energy in a process that they called radiosynthesis, which is very similar to photosynthesis where plants convert sunlight into energy. So it's, it's amazing how adaptable mold is. And so my final thought was if it can, if it can adapt in such extreme conditions, is it any wonder in our more common places? It just, it just thrives easily. Mm -hmm. So, right, right. With that in mind, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Bowers, and he's going to talk about some radiation solutions. Well, first of all, Dr. Farney, thank you. I kind of feel like on our last episode, like you do, or did, mm -hmm. um, you stole all my thunder. But that's well, okay. I love it. Oh, I was also going to yeah. say this. Don't stop. I'm not the conclusion this time. Right. Yeah. And, and also uh, Dr. Caleb, thanks. Uh, I, I got that same feeling. Yeah. And, uh, and Dr. Kaisen, I'm excited for you because what you're going to talk about, I have a lot of information on anyway, that just be, be a little fun there, but I want to touch on a couple of things here. Just maybe highlight a few things that were mentioned and maybe take a little bit further, especially in today's world. One of the things we first talked about was 1G, 2G. We didn't really call them that back then, but 3G, when it came out, as Dr. Caleb talked about, there was a lot of research done back in the 80s and into the 90s, and they were trying to find out just what effect this really was having on our bodies. And interestingly, interestingly enough, it wasn't as bad as we thought back then. But what it did give us, it gave us some readings or ratings of exactly what was going on in our world at that time. Now, if you think about technology and the growth of technology and where we are going with technological advances and even the green technology that is developing, here's one thing we know. A lot more EMF or electromagnetic fields are being created that are producing more toxic environments. And really what we're trying to do is we're trying to talk about this and its effect on mold and then even some of the solutions that are available to it. And I want to talk about some generic concepts here, meaning this, that when we looked at the exposure of some of the potentiation of radiation that was occurring back in the 80s and 90s, it was only about 10 times what we concluded probably was in the 60s and the 70s, right? Now, when we've gone back through and then 1920, I mean, 2020, when they looked at it, it was 600 times higher than it was in the 80s and the 90s. So when we start talking about this exposure that we have and the potentiation of radiation that's going on and how it's permeating everything, and I love how Dr. Kayla brought out that the concept of 5G is basically a beam uh, technology now, and that is what they're preaching is why it's even better to do 5G than 4G or 3G. But the problem is, is that even though we have less uh, spread we have more or deeper penetration. 
And that's some of the concerns that we really have when we start looking at what this does. Again, if you have the old cell phones, the old Wi-Fi routers, you're probably having low-level radiation, as he brought it, as Dr. Caleb talked about, the, the non-ionizing and the ionizing radiation. Mm-hmm. However, when we start looking at the higher versions of this that 5G gets into, that's when we start having a lot of different problems. And when we really start some of the newest studies that were just done last year, right, in 21, 22, what they start noticing is the effect that 5G had on mold, and it had over 600 times exposure or radiation exposure caused it to grow. Now, as Dr. Farney brought up, it was very unique in its adaptability how the mold will adapt to this exposure. But what we're paying attention to or trying to focus on here is the aspect of how it increases the rate of growth. And when we start bringing all these, you know, 5G devices into our house and closer to our body, and we have some mold exposure in our bodies, now all of a sudden there's certain species of molds that it is going to increase its dimatic growth. And as we talked about, in a previous episode, the mycotoxin concept, and then we talk or we listen to what Dr. Farney just talked about on the biotoxin aspect, how it actually takes these bioweapons, if you will, and eats them and uses them as a food source, how much of that is being exposed into our body. And that's really the, the biggest thing I think we need to pay attention to. So one thing we know for sure, the last 20 or 30 years for sure, we know that the electromagnetic fields have dramatically changed. And around the world now, they're several million times higher than it was just 10 years ago in the 2010 and 11 area. So whether you agree with 5G or not, or all this different high technology that's going out there, here's one thing that the research has shown. It definitely causes mold to grow quicker. So then what are some of the aspects or solutions that we need to be aware of? Well, as Dr. Luke brought up, there are a couple different devices that we can talk about. The RL2, there's some other things. We, we've talked about ionic on a previous episode, ionic radiation. We, we can talk about UV radiation and all these different things that have a great effect on reducing some of the growth or potentiation of growth. But the real big thing is we got to start looking at is kind of what happens inside of our bodies. And that's what I want us to be aware of. And we could talk about things like oxidative stress. We can talk about free radicals. We can talk about the effect on the immune system. We can talk about the effect on what we call the extracellular matrix, all these different things that are there we can talk about it spiking free radicals we can talk about all these things that most of the current diseases are actually growing faster because of these episodes so for me when i look at all this widespread inflammation that's going on how everything gets out of whack if you will within our body and if you'll go back and look at some of the uh, the previous episodes where we talked where dr craig talked about some of the signs and symptoms and you start seeing more and more people we see clients and patients now having more and more of these issues just in the last couple of years as all this is increasing we have to understand a couple things number one this exposure of the radiation to the mold is increasing both the mycotoxin aspect and the biotoxin aspect and what that does that triggers more spore growth and more spore spreading and therefore that means we get a surge of all these different poisonous biotoxins that seem to make way into our bodies and into our cells and start causing havoc right the other thing that we do know is it induces more mold growth and then that thereby increases this toxic burden in our body so when we're looking at all these components what I think is one of the biggest things that we need to do is we need to reduce our exposure to these 5G and even probably 4G devices. 
such things as keeping the devices out of your pockets, keeping them away from your body when they're not in use. I, I don't know how many times I have 10 grandchildren and, and I see, you know, all of the other people around me. It's like everybody is constantly doing this, right? They're looking at, they're on their phone, they're doing all these things. They're playing games, they're doing Google searches, they're doing, uh, you know, all kind of searches on there. And like somebody asked a question today, well, how old is so-and-so? And so one of the person went and said, well, let me find out. And so these devices are becoming such a routine of our life. And the use of those devices is what is intensifying all of our exposure and then therefore the toxic component and then the toxic buildup and then the toxic reaction within our body. So the, the most simplest things I can try to do uh, to simplify is simply this. When you do not need this device, keep it away from your body. Don't put it on your body. Don't put it in your pocket. Keep it away from your body. Okay. Number two, if you're not using your computer, turn it off. If you're not using your Wi-Fi, turn it off. Number three, if at all possible, instead of using Wi-Fi, plug it in. Use an Ethernet cord. Use something else that actually allows you to do that. And if you don't need your device that often or if you're just going to use it for something uh, that's non-signaling uh, to you, turn it into the airplane mode. Shut off some of those devices or the components of those devices. I, I stop and think about my, my kids or grandkids, and, and I look at all the things that they're playing on all the time. And I just sit there and go, wow. How much of that is going to be causing potential problems down the road that we are not even aware of now? I mean, if we think about over a million, uh, millions of, of different uh, increased exposures in just the last 10 years before 5G, what is going to show up into the next 10, 20 years when we get into 6G, 7G or whatever else it is that we're going into? Actually, Dr. B, can I jump in real quick? Go I actually it. read an article recently about some of the pro proposed plans for 6G because people are already looking at it, trying to see what's next. And one of the articles I read was actually talking about how uh, in consideration was using humans as the antenna. So exactly. basically where we absorb that and they would have like some copper jewelry or something that we wear to try and help protect from that. But uh, still just thinking about that aspect in relationship to what we know with just that research from the Faraday cage, the EMF exposure, the increase in biotoxin, mycotoxins. If we make humans the antennas for that, and I think even in the um, article, it also mentioned that they weren't really concerned about EMF waste because humans would absorb that. Correct. If you think about that in relation to somebody who gets infected or you know exposed to mold and that gets within them, what type of effects is, are we likely to look at? And that's exactly the point I was trying to get to in that, Dr. Kidd. It, it, let, let's put all of us together in a room. Let's the five of us doctors go out to lunch, and we all have that device in our, in our coat, our pocket, whatever it is. How much exposure is being generated? And I was going to bring that up when we talk when we talk about the the cell matrix that is a uh, an electrical based component, and we have something that's generating electricity outside of our body to go inside our body to change the dynamic structure of the body. How much longer are these going to be problems? Right. So that's uh, I think for me what I'm really trying to get to here is the best advice that I think we can give you is. Try to get these things away from your body. Simply this, do not sleep with it next to your bed. 
right? In fact, the research says for you to have the least amount of exposure, this thing should be anywhere from five to six minimum feet away from your body. That doesn't mean from your head, oh, that's the worst place, but away from your body. And if we can realize what these things are doing and how I think they are creating a huge issue in a lot of the other health uh diseases or entities that we have in our body and when we put mold on top of it and we know that these increase the mold and spore growth and like that one patient i talked about in a previous episode a nine-year-old girl that had it inside her her lungs all right if we're increasing the growth of that and speeding that up how much sooner are we going to have results like what you mentioned uh, after the uh, the hurricane i don't remember the name of the hurricane that was down in florida yeah. in the last episode ian how much more of that are we going to see Right. And that's kind of where I'm trying to caution us. While we live with these things all the time, they are an absolute dynamic aspect of our life. They also cause a lot of potential problems. Right. And that's what I think we need to be aware of. So I, I think as, as you look at your life and you look at what you're doing with these devices, and I'm, we are all trying to make you aware of the not only the radiation effects, but the EMF effects and the potentiation of cell damage effects and the mycotoxins and the biotoxin effects. Wow. This is something you really need to take into to some consideration. So I, I know I'm trying to look at that into my family for my kids, my grandkids and my people that I love around me, but it's going to be hard, but I think we have to find some time that we look at those devices as uh, being a potential problem for our, our health in the future. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dr. Frank, Dr. Kyson, who he's going to go into talking about another thing that I think is in radiation is some of the gases that are around that actually increase the radiation effects and radiation effects affect them. So Dr. Kyson, over to you, sir. Thank you, Dr. Bowers. Um, it's interesting, though, uh, getting your perspective as a grandparent and our resident uh, baby boomer in our clinic. So I'm kind of interested um, as our resident millennial here, Dr. Luke Moore. How do you feel about some of these things here when you hear this? Because you grew up with it in a different way than even us that were Gen X did, you know, and it's been so proliferant. You know, how do you feel about it as far as having a wife and young kids and everything else and being around there? What are you seeing and how does that make you feel from your generation knowing that, you know, you're going to have so much more of that going forward in your life? How do you look at that as a parent? I'm just kind of curious about your perspective. Truthfully, I try not to think about it too much. Um, really, I mean, I mean, in all seriousness, though, because like Dr. Bowers had mentioned, we we don't know what's coming down the line here, um, and these are these devices are such an integral part of our lives, even to the point where, I mean, I I'm guilty of this too, as as I think about this as a parent of my two boys and how how much they're in front of electronic devices, and even more any these days, you ask. Even my youngest, who's 16 months, they're already starting to do like we would say, hey, call me. And then you hold up your phone like this if you're seeing it on YouTube. But uh, they don't do that anymore. They have no idea what that is. And so if you ask them that, they just hold their hands flat like an iPhone to their ear. That's what a phone is to them now. Mm -hmm. And so that that's astonishing to see. And so uh, honestly, when I think of it, it's just it's kind of scary. Let me add one thing to that. One thing I try to do, for example, in my household, and I've done this since cell phones been around, and my first cell phone was back in 1989, right? And we knew of some of the exposure, potentiation of problems back then. So I took a time and said, okay, in my house, at the dinner table, no phones are allowed. And what that did, one, it made us not focus on the phone. 
B, it, it, it focused on relationships, you know, and we always talk about, I, I love what uh, Robert Kiyosaki said. It's interesting to look at the conversations that happen at the dinner table between the rich people and the poor people. And I read that book many, many years ago. So that was a concept that I just said, okay, what are we going to do at the dinner table? Right? Well, let's get away cellular devices. Let's get away electronic devices. Right? And so if you're in my house and your phone rings, you're asked to leave the table. Right? And take it somewhere else because we don't need to hit the sit there and see that. And think about how many people you see out in restaurants. You know, it, it's like they're looking at the phone. They're not even talking to each other. So that's a different topic. But you got to find ways that you have what I call a no phone zone or a, a no electronic zone, ways that you get away. And if you can say, hey, I'm going to take one hour a day and make sure I'm not exposed to computers, I'm not exposed to iPads, devices, Game Boys, whatever you want to call it, all these electronic devices. I think somehow you're saving yourself, right? If you'll just find those times that you can find it. And I think ultimately you realize how little you need it. Like I don't use my phone for games. You know, my grandkids go, hey, granddaddy, want to play a game on your phone? I go, they're not on my phone. Well, granddaddy, why not? <laughs> because it's a bad habit. It's a bad thing, right? And I know sometimes we as parents or grandparents use phones as babysitters, you know, uh, to keep them busy while we're trying to do something else. I'm just saying you got to find a way, right? But I think that's part of what we have to look at. So. Back to you, Dr. K. All righty. So let's talk about radon. Radon is something that I wasn't super familiar with until I started having a few patients come in that uh, were from the upper Midwest. And uh, and it was something that was a major issue for them because we were having a hard time clearing out mold. And what we found is a lot of their clothing they brought and a lot of their shoes actually were holding on to the radon gas. And so we get these uh, soft uh, foam in our shoes now that not the hard rubber soles, but the foam of it or in these slip-on sliders or whatever we want to call these different shoes that we're wearing. Radon can get trapped inside the foam of that. And so it's interesting to me how they started testing really weak and toxic to whenever they had their shoes on, they kick them off and they'd feel so much better. And it was like, wow. And you're hauling this all the way back in from Ohio or Pennsylvania, wherever they're from. And I said, well, is radon something you guys see up there? She goes, Oh, actually we, uh, my husband's got lung cancer from it. And we have three pumps in our basement because it's so bad. I'm like, well, have you ever thought of moving? She goes, oh, no, it's the family farm. I go, well, it's going to be the family graveyard at this rate. <laughs> you know, I mean, this is a major issue for you. And so I started getting more versed in understanding how radon was such a huge issue for that. And and radon is a breakdown of uranium in the soil, which creates this gas that comes up that stimulates mold growth. And what I found was interesting, and again, I don't have any scientific data on this other than looking at a couple maps of where the fertile soil is in the United States and where radon is most prevalent, and they overlap really well. And so I go, aha. So the more radon that's being released, the more it stimulates mold, the more mold breaks down things in the soil, the more rich the soil is. And so it plays an important role for that. So several things uh, with radon that have been interesting, because when we talk about like the foam and shoes, what about the padding under your carpet? What about the cushions in your couch? What about all these other things that gets trapped into? And whenever you lay on it, you sit around it, or you received a couch with somebody who had an issue and it's having an effect on you because it is a poisonous gas that is affecting you in a negative way. It's weakening you. And yet it's causing the mold to grow at a much higher rate. 
So it's something that you need to be aware of. And if you do have mold issues, you have had mold issues in the past, you've had water damage, things like this, it's something you probably want to go back and do some research on. And you go find some basic testers, uh, Amazon or your hardware stores, you know, for 20 to $100. Or you can hire a professional company that actually does this and actually look and see if there is a radon issue. I've had a family recently that they had a newborn and they go, she's been sick from the day she was born. And the whole family came in and they all tested to radon. And I go, well, you probably need to go through that figured out and see if we can get that cleaned up. And we'll do the best we can to start getting it out of your body, giving you something to uh, detoxify that from your system as best we can and try to do that. But over long periods of time with the high exposure, it starts to become an issue. Now, this is more common in, in place where people have uh, newer homes because they're sealed off. Like we talked about earlier with like mm-hmm. Tyvek and all these different things here, they don't breathe like they used to. And so it's trying to be able to get these things pumped out of the house through the basements or whatever it is that it's coming into or accumulating in and getting it out of there because it's definitely having an effect on rate or on the mold growth and what that's doing to your body or your house or whatever else you're being exposed to. So, yep, we just got to make sure we get that cleaned out of there. So, um, there's a lot of things here that are, um, major issues that we talked about today and things that is a pot of issues that we don't necessarily know how it's being stirred up where you're at, where you live. But if you have a mold issue, all of these things can create an issue or they can create the perfect storm coming in. That'll actually be very detrimental to your health. And in some cases, even in the story that Dr. Cabe shared, it can cost somebody their life. It's It can be very dangerous. And just seeing how that young kid that had it got exposed to all that mold was literally globules of blood and everything coming out of their sinuses. They were trying to fight that off the best they could. And it was, if we wouldn't have got to him uh, as soon as we did, he probably would end up in the hospital in a really bad shape the way he was going. So... All these things that we have to keep in mind and understand that radiation is something that is real. We can't see it necessarily. And it's just increasing in our environment every single day. The the things that Dr. Bowers grew up in in his time as a child versus us as Gen Xers versus millennials versus these new kids here, they're being exposed to things that we never were in previous generations. And we don't really know how that's going to affect them in the growth and development as we go forward. So it's something that if you think you have an issue with mold, I highly encourage you to go through and start looking, take some steps here to limit that exposure and to definitely, if check out radon. Look up the radon map. There's that EPA has a map. You can get onto their website and it'll show where radon's found most prevalent in the United States. Look in your area there. Say, hey, is this something that's a really big issue where I live? If it is, go get a monitor from the hardware store or Amazon or call somebody to come in and actually do a test on it and make sure that you don't let something this insidious uh, keep existing in your home that can really cause some major issues in your life. Anybody anything to add to that? The only thing I would say is I think as humans, we really have a tough time balancing benefit and detriment. You know, we've talked about radiation and there are great benefits of all this Wi-Fi and technology and there are also detriments. And we struggle to find that balance point. And I think that's That's we tend to go to extremes and that's why we suffer the consequences. It's not real to you until it's real to you. Exactly. Well, and in addition to that, both guys. Uh, when we look at those who already have a mold exposure, 
I mean, this is really who we're talking to. Those who have a healthy body and and they're kind of in the middle of what you were just talking about, Dr. Craig, on the both extremes of it. Those people tend to be okay, right? It's the ones that have a previous health issue. And in this case, as we're talking about with mold, and we can talk about limes, we can talk about parasites, we can talk about, you know, hormones and, you know, inflammation, all those kind of things. But those who already have those issues, the mold, it becomes a more specific component for them. And as Dr. Frank talked about, it's the insidiousness of it and this hidden killer. And even like with the radon, radon we know increases mold production as well, right? So those who have those issues, this is who this is really for, right? As we're looking at the end or the spectrums uh, where people have issues. So, All right. Well, thank you for uh, listening today and stay tuned for our next one. We talk about the neuroemotional aspects of how mold affects us on a daily basis. Thank you for listening to the Docera Digest podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review. You can also find all the episodes and show notes over at doceralifecenter.com. While you're on the website, also be sure to check out the blog where you'll find videos and articles to help you proactively rebalance your health.